Cormac, I got a I got a question for you before we get into the main topic. Yes. Can you help me? <laughs> I <laughs> Hey. <laughs> I need sure. I need 500 people, which is a very small number of people who out of the audience of Arcaspeak, the 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 amazing, you know, genius level audience of this podcast. I need 500 people to go to my company's website and sign up for what we're doing over there. Why? Because the, I think you would agree. That's why I'm talking to you about this. And that's why everybody's so interested in listening. <laughs> listening. <laughs> the system is broken uh, in how we select building products. We're architects. Oh it, my it Lord. You can't even, I can't even explain to you how much of a struggle my life has been in the past week where i've actually thankfully because of just the way that the um national holidays and stuff over there are going right now our client has been somewhat quiet this week which means that we've it's pretty had far away i mean over there is it's it's just not it's, well, it's but in, many time zones away and so we've been able to exactly so we've been able to actually have a good working week which is amazing. <laughs> leave me alone let me work yeah okay. but i've been beating the pavement looking for certain products and things like that so so you know the pain like 100 percent behind you in understanding that pain yeah so what we're doing at, at tech is fixing that problem and not by giving you some freaking product directory that you go search for products but you actually talk to the people who are behind the products why because they've got all the experience and wisdom to tell you if it's the right thing or not and i want to tell you two things the the, pro, the, the platform that we built exists but it is not ready for architects yet okay and so i'm not asking anybody to go like give me any of their information we actually will never ask people for any information like that you don't have to subscribe. You just show up and, and use it and get in contact with a real person who can help you, right? That's that's our goal. And the other thing that that reason I say it's not ready yet is because the product manufacturers are the ones who need to sign up for this. And this the audience of this podcast is not those people. There might be a few of you. If you are, let's talk. Get in touch with me. Evan at tech.com. T-E-C-T dot com. If you email me, I'm, I'm happy to talk. But if you're an architect, if you're on the design side and you ever think about building products on your projects, like the system sucks. You either just keep using what you've always used or you are end up searching for Google and shopping for shoes because holy crap, there's so much distraction out there, right? It's just there's tons and tons of things that get in the way of us actually finding what we need. Sometimes we find what we need and it's it's still not the right thing. We find that out like two weeks later, right? Which is just a huge waste of time. So I want to show the building product manufacturers out there that architects want this to be different. So that's what I'm asking for right now. And that's why I'm asking for you to sign up on our wait list. If you go to tech.com and just click the orange button to join the launch as an architect or any kind of design professional, you could be an interior designer, you could be an engineer, you could be a landscape architect, you could be an architect, you could be a specifier, you could be a senior project architect. I, I don't like anybody who is a design professional. We made this for you so that you can get in touch with the right person on your terms. And I just want to show manufacturers that there is a demand for this better way of working. And so that's my that's my plea before we jump into the real topic today. Any any other thing that you want to add? add to that plea i you i mean wait list that's the only thing killing me man yeah <laughs> bring it sooner the thing is is if if we can't show a lot of manufacturers that we care then they won't care right and so that that's our goal right now this is the chicken and the egg that's what we call it right like this is we, we want to show them that we that this matters because we sell time for money and if I could spend less time looking for products, like you just said, you're hitting the pavement, you're going, you're looking for things and you, and I'm sure you're finding some stuff. I actually, most of it, I'm not finding what I really need. Yeah. It, Cause it's hard. Like it's, it's crazy how hard it is. And so we, we're, we want to change that. So everybody, you, you could pause the podcast. It'll be here when you get back. 
go to tech.com and click on an orange button to just add your name to the list of architects who want a better way to work. And that's what we're going to, that's what we have made. And that's what we are going to deliver to you. So that, that was it. I wanted to throw that out at the beginning so that I don't forget at the end. And, uh, and that's it. Yeah. So definitely do, because I mean, as somebody who's been kind of on the peripheries, watching this develop, I definitely see the benefit to this platform. And I also see this hesitancy probably from the manufacturers because they, you know, they want to see the value behind it in, you know, before they sign up. And so I'm just going to say we're the egg right now and they're the chickens. (laughs) Yes. All right. So which came first? There's a, there's a Beastie uh, Boys song. Apparently we have to come first. Yeah, we do. It, it helps. It helps tell the story. It helps show the, the, the support. So if you, if you uh, can support what I'm doing, if you can support what we're doing at Tech, I would appreciate that so much. And again, I just, I just want like 500 people to do it. it. That is a very small number of ears that are hearing this right now. Very small. But, you know, here's the thing is like, you know, as those people start, you know, when it launches in those first 500 people are starting to see the benefit. You know, they're going to say, hey, you know, hey, can you uh, point me to the direction of some um, products and stuff? No, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something better for you. I'm pointing you to tech. Sounds like I'm running a commercial. Maybe a trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you, Cormac, are a boring architect. I am a parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're not boring, but your buildings are so boring. You know, they could be, they could be (laughs) in accordance with. Yeah. Thomas Heatherwick. He says, he says that we're living through an epidemic of boringness. He's playing off the pandemic here. And this is a a story that we were talking about over at dazine.com. We are living through an epidemic of boringness, says Thomas Heatherwick. So Thomas Heatherwick is i don't think he's not an architect uh, is it is it well no he's a designer yeah he's a designer multidisciplinary design firm though they do they do a lot of yeah. different things most famous building what would you say it is that you've seen or experienced uh, of his of his companies his firms the ones that i know of are things like the maggie center and other <laughs> Name one building that's um, virtually planted, virtually planted, or or literally planted, and that's usually typically his. I, I mean, I, I, I'm more familiar with him in things that are either on their way of being coming. I think didn't he do the? It was um, Google, the Google campus. Mm, good question. I think that was a collaboration with Big. Maybe could be wrong about that. He did the vessel. Ah, did the vessel. Yes, yes. You, you actually got to go up inside it. I did not, and I don't think I ever will be able to again. It's a, it's a polarizing piece on the internet for sure. <laughs> I think it's especially polarizing to the, the inhabitants of the area in which it is located in, in New York. Well, I, it, that and the fact that I think it's closed now. Yeah, I think it is too. So that's in Hudson Yards in New York. And and I did get to experience it. And there is much criticism of said project. Um, and so I, I only bring that up because there is uh, this this epidemic of boringness, I think, comes across. I, I'm sure that the headline alone will cause a, a serious amount of eye rolling. It comes across as self-serving. I mean, especially to somebody who is probably at or approaching Starkitect kind of status, right? Yeah. Um, so, but those are the kinds of, he doesn't do characterless buildings. I don't know. I just kind of got beyond that pretty fast because I do think that there is some meat and justification to this. this. I mean, I, I can appreciate where he's coming from. I mean, unfortunately he was using the article or at least the, the speech that he was, or the, was it interview or speech? I think it was like a conversation that, yeah, at uh, Singapore design week. Yeah. So I, I think he was using that platform to basically you know, 
do his own, you know, firm sales pitch, you know, because as you know, you're reading through and they're, you know, talking about these quotes, he's using his buildings as an example of what possesses character versus what doesn't possess character. You know, he's always using his work as kind of that, that counterpoint to right, right. to boringness. And that's where it does come across as self-serving. It's like, well, look at, look at me. I don't, I don't do this, but it really bothers me. Right? Well, you know, and, and so a lot of people, a lot of that eye rolling is going to come from, um, you know, we'll look at the messenger and look at what that messenger does because, you know, you let, let's be honest. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that he, you know, essentially like covers his buildings and plants, They'd be boring. It, <laughs> maybe. It wouldn't necess- maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd, I'd really like to. I, I would say that, like I said, you know, because we were, um, we were using um, the Maggie Center as an example, you know, because we were looking up all of the Maggie Centers, not just his, but there's, you know, a couple of different ones, and we were we were looking through those, and and so looking at his. Interior wise, it's really interesting. It's really, you know, it's a cancer center. And so it really does kind of create a very calming kind of, you know, it's nice and curvy and, and there's just, it's warm tones and I think it's kind of you know, filled with it's, plants. It's probably supposed to be like a healing type of an environment too, right? There's a, there's a lot of research that backs up that kind of environment for, especially yeah. for cancer patients. Yes. And so, and so I can see that there's definitely a lot of, thought and emotion and, and uh, character built into it. But when you look at the wrappers of some of these, you look at it as just like, okay, well, you know, really to be quite honest with you, it's not a lot to write home about other than the fact that it's completely covered in plants. And, and I know that this is not the point of the, the conversation. I guess I'm more, I'm more saying that, you know, sometimes I guess I do a lot of eye rolling because when you have that kind of like, self-serving kind of statement that you make it's like Ugh, i'm not boring but look at all of you you're boring and you're just like really dude <laughs> but at the same time he's not wrong but he is not wrong though yeah <laughs> it, and, and when you sent me that what was the one of the things that i had said when when you sent me the article in, in multi-family um, housing multi-family housing now you know no offense to any of the multi-family housing listeners that we have out there but there are Almost, almost every one of the multifamily homes that you see going up across the country, and, and to be quite honest with you, um, globally, they look the same. There is a certain something. Now it's very much a you know this articulated box with you know these like little folding planes and things like that. That you know materially like, different from the this this yeah. two foot extrusion. You know exactly. It's all, it's like, we talked about this in the other episode, but from more from a software standpoint, which I think is part of the problem that he doesn't even get into in this, but it does kind of build on our previous discussion of s- software, which is a, a function of building design as like. It looks like the software you designed it in. You're like, look at me. I know uh, um, SketchUp. And I, 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 tool. I know how to exactly the push-pull tool. Ooh, look, I've extruded some very beautiful architecture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, he's not wrong, right? When it, it, That is a great example. It, look at look at the the crazy amount of tracked housing that goes in on in this country. The similarity of these quote-unquote builder homes which is supposed to distinguish them somehow from other single-family residences right where it's like it's supposed to be like an endearing term or or maybe a signifier of quality or something and and maybe there is some quality aspect to it but but they all they again all look the same it's uh he's not wrong like in in architects when you look at the overall kind of contribution to society and the built environment which is the thing that we should be championing as the people who could affect it the most we actually touch only one percent of it and the whole world's built environment right right so when we were good example is when we were looking for a place to live you know the detroit metropolitan area has got a you know some a lot of really nice places to live but you know, if you are more on the east side where we um, ended up staying or picking to live, there was an eclectic collection of the built environment, which made this, the towns 
really unique. And so there is a character to Gross Point that is different from any other place around here. And to be quite honest with you, very different from a lot of the places that I've visited in my lifetime. I guess it was back when, let's just use uh, Heather Wick's argument, you know, when, when people, when there was, you know, people who, um, you know, thought about the human scale and humanizing uh, the space and stuff, because they, they basically created a community when it was being built. And so, but when we were looking, we were also looking at kind of like the Western suburbs and they all look the same. We were looking at, you know, newer homes and slightly older homes, like, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, vintage homes. And they all started to look the same. When you were building the these communities where you had like maybe four house plans and all you did was just rotate them or kind of like mix them up and just lay them out in different orders and stuff like that, they still look, it still looks and feels the same. And then when it's void of trees, it makes it feel even more like, God, I really hope I don't get drunk and go into the wrong house. Cause right. it's like going into know, a parking lot and there's eight Priuses in a row. And you're like, which one? It's like, oh, I, I forgot where I parked. Oh, I forgot where I live because I don't, I mean, they all look the same. And, and, and I get it. I, I totally agree with, with him that, you know, Things like, you know, this, this almost like soulless architecture comes from, you know, almost like the bottom dollar. Well, it's a further push towards efficiency. So like there, there is a, there's an argument to be made for building at scale where similarity is rewarded, right? Like that, that makes sense. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. Although I would argue that it still matters there, right? With where we live as people and what that architecture can or cannot do for us at a mental and emotional level and how that changes our psyche when we contribute to the community. Like there's definitely the environment matters when it comes to that stuff, but so does similarity and so does production and so does speed and all of those things. And so, I mean, and, and not to diminish the fact that architects are dealing with all of those things if they choose to, right. And not every architect chooses to, a lot of builders choose not to on purpose, a lot of developers, right? So, I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. I think I think when it, what he's really focusing on are, and I, I guess maybe this is just me because I don't think it's explicitly said this way, but it's like public buildings. Yeah. And, and the reason I say that is because those are communal by nature, like as far as the use and who's using it. And... He's specifically talking about a lack of emotion that these spaces and environments can create for people. Because if they don't do that, they just become background buildings. They are purely functional and they do diminish the public's value of what architecture is and can do. Because if there's more of that than less of it, then buildings can't do much for people, right? They, they serve as a function, a machine, right? And I think what he's talking about is is another plane above that, which is where these things like like we've talked about this in way past episodes, but like where's a building that sat you down and made you say, whoa, right? And those buildings do exist, but it is a very small percentage of those. And, and if you asked that question, it would be very hard pressed to find a modern building that really fits that that whoa bill. It's true. I mean, and actually, when you were closer to D.C., there's quite a bit more of that because space is saved particularly for those kinds of buildings in those places. As as one example, like the mall, right? The D.C. mall is that's what it's for. But then you can go somewhere like to one of the very old kind of initial villages of the area. And that's a really cool place, too. But then like in the intervening 200 years, <laughs> there's a whole lot of blah in there. And it's stuff that you would rather forget about. You don't, you, it doesn't stand out. It doesn't affect you emotionally. And it's just kind of like haphazard, haphazardly built on top of itself all of, you know, throughout the last 200, 250 years. Well, you know, it's when you're looking at like, say 
modern city and you've got all these skyscrapers and all of the skyscrapers are essentially just the different forms of glass tubes, right? There's no like articulation. There's no emotion. There's no like feeling to them. And so they really do just fall into that kind of like blah category. And then you put up a, a you know, there it's very hard pressed for me to be impressed with a skyscraper that is like, whoa, this is like amazing. But I will sit down every single time I go to New York City and a particular building that I go past all the time, you know, like all the time, purposely to go and see it in a variety of different ways. But it just really is something that was well thought out, well planned, well detailed, well, you know, there's like, there's all this emotion and feeling in it. And it is one of those buildings for me that is a woe, and that's the New York Times building. And, you know, it's a modern building and it's a modern building. And so there are very, you know, there are those out there that are more modern buildings, but, you know, I will kind of agree with Heather Wick in this particular case that a lot of times, you know, you've got, you know, you and I were calling them the background buildings, but, you know, even background buildings should have kind of like a dialogue with everything else and not just be kind of like vanilla sitting in the background, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of his points is actually he has like three kind of qualifiers for emotion. One of them is lifting spirits. The second one is connecting us together, which is what you're, I think, kind of talking about here. And then this humanizing factor, right, where the scale, warmth, attractiveness, like those kinds of things that that bring people in and like when the, the old village area I'm talking about visiting you on the East Coast was Ellicott City, right? It's like when you go to the East Coast and you offer to me, do you want to go to, to I don't know, um, pick any like downtown area versus Ellicott City? I'm going to pick that one. Why? Because it's got so much character. There is so much texture. There is so much. Is it is it perfect? No way. But that's it, it actually makes it really cool the way that it's not. Exactly. The imperfect. That's the character. Exactly. Yeah. Or I could have taken you easily to like uh, Tyson's Corner, which, you know, just south of, you know, basically about the same distance from where I used to live to Ellicott City. If I went south into Virginia and took you there, you would see a more modern, you know, the modern village. And the problem is, is that that modern village is made up of a lot of like, you know, mid-rise buildings that all essentially feel the same. The The spaces created are pretty generic. They're not, you know, there are a few standouts in there. And I, I'm not going to, you know, like diss all of them and say, you know, oh, that, that all of the buildings are horrible. And there, it's not, but it's few and far between. But it doesn't like, so it doesn't like mesh the community. It doesn't like, they're, it's just like a bunch of like little pieces set up that literally could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It doesn't, the context kind of doesn't matter for most of that. Right. It actually could be anywhere. It's not of the place. If you, if you think about like, so one of his quotes was, we all need places that trigger a response. The the problem is, is that sometimes even the avant-garde trigger a response that's far more negative than positive. You know, you look at some of these places that he would probably consider as, um, you know, connecting with nature and and has this emotion to it and all this other stuff. And as an architect, I walk up to some of those spaces and there's one one particular building that I'm thinking of um, that kind of like triggered a response, which was that triangular sloping building that Big did in New York right across the street via yeah via thank you i was blanking on the name of it but and i'm looking at it and i'm looking at okay you tried something interesting it's gonna be a mess and it will be one of those 40 year buildings you know it's not going to be a a thousand year building because you just look at it and you're like okay you're trying something i get it but it's such a like a, a maintenance nightmare they're not going to put up with they are not going to put up with that much longer <laughs> there are a lot of issues that that underlie the possibility of a thousand year building and i think i don't think that 
we should take that so literally as more more as the point of it being architects should be thinking way longer term i mean first of all i mean not every building needs to be a new building we've talked about this before right and so how do we adapt how do we reuse how do we modify and update and do all those things to existing building stock and and i don't even think it means like the interior of the building's never going to change but but you've got the bones and the the wrapper that can stand the test of time as new functions and new ways of living and working kind of develop over time but it does come back to this idea of the long game and how the built environment could matter more and and then i i, I want to balance that with like clients don't want to pay for buildings that are going to last a thousand years now like they don't want to pay now <laughs> to build a building that's going to perform at all for that long right because n- nobody's incentivized to do so it and it's tragic right because we see not very old buildings getting torn down all the time and and what that does to to the climate what that does to what it's putting into the air i mean same thing right but it's it's just it's it's really upsetting to see that happen as well because of the kind of short term consumerist nature that we have it's like that thing you could put extra thought into making it work or adapting it or doing something. And maybe if it's not the right fit for the business, like maybe you look somewhere else. I don't know. It's complicated, but, but people don't even want to pay for 40 year buildings and they sure as hell don't want to maintain them at all. Like people barely take their cars to car washes. They think, what are they going to do for a building? (laughs) Yeah. So let me ask you this, thinking about him using this like conversation uh, that he was having at this uh, symposium and, you know, talking about using his buildings as an example. Do you consider Follies architecture? Because I really do consider a lot of his work, building occupiable spaces or not, is more folly than anything else. They're like a unique approach to to a place that is, you know, specifically set out to be uniquely different, right? But it, but in a way, I would almost contend that it's really not of the place that it's there, which is you know the essence of a volley, right? Well, I think don't think this is different than any architect's work, no, though, right? The, this is that's true too. I mean, they're they are hired to do what they do, which is they have differentiated their practice to deliver different, differently than than what everybody's used to. So for the, those who can afford it, I think one of the biggest issues I have with this, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the 1%. I mean, that's who is buying this kind of architecture. And and it's easy for Thomas to say, right, that we should have more of this. But like, there aren't that many clients out there who are knocking on architects' doors saying, help me spend this hundreds of millions of dollars right in the and make the most beautiful edifice to you know my legacy that you possibly can there's just aren't that many maybe maybe there's more than i think but architects would kill to do these kinds of projects it doesn't mean they just get them like there's no entitlement to just get those right so it it, it is interesting but i think i think i want to take away the inspiring part to say yeah, we do need more architectural diversity. We don't need all of these housing projects to look exactly the same. I don't need to use those as as context for my next project because that that is an old problem that has been solved a million times. Like let's move on to something else. And I think that's what architects want, but but again, there there is a lot of dynamics here, man. It's it's practicing well, and So what are your what are some of your favorite places? What do you mean? Like just in general? <laughs> well, so I, I guess in a way we're sort of hyper-focused, or at least maybe I am, you know, a little hyper-focused on the building and not the place. Because, you know, the building is, you know, it's it's like anything else. It's it's like art. It's, you know, it's subjective. It's some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. And I get the sterile nature um, that he's talking about, the, this devoid of character. How many times have you been asked to design a school building that has a sing a double loaded corridor that's six feet wide down the middle with no bump ins, no bump outs, the same flooring, the same lighting all the way down the hallway, T bar ceiling? Yeah, like it is. It is like 
it is a prison of one kind or another. And that is what people, that is what a lot of clients want because it's the cheapest, fastest thing that they can get. And it's what people are used to. People don't like to get out of their comfort zone because when they, they get know, out of their, yeah, they don't say what if. Yeah, exactly. They ex- exactly. And so in thinking about like what I, I feel like makes like a good place, you know, it is this place that has multiple different layers of styles of places, you know, pocket parks, large parks, you know, everything in between transitions transitions yeah but yeah but i mean it's where things kind of live harmoniously i mean one of the things that i liked about i remember um the first time i'd ever gone to montgomery you know downtown montgomery alabama you know more of like the the cultural downtown where the capitol building is where you know dexter avenue um baptist church is and all of these other you know spaces and what was interesting is it was such a mix of you know what you would feel like our quintessential, you know, Southern kind of like classical architecture mixed in with modern buildings, you know, modernist buildings and, and just everything in between. And what was interesting about it is, is it was, it felt cohesive, even with all of the different characters that were kind of making that place up. And but it, it takes it people who care. Yeah. To ultimately drive that situation, because like I I can give an example from Topeka, Kansas, where I was, you know, last week. And there's there's a group, there's an architecture firm, there's a development office, there's a hotel company, there's other local businesses who care so much about the future of the downtown of Topeka, Kansas, that they come together and they are figuring out what needs to be there to attract people to come in. And it is not boring ass buildings, right? It is the opposite of that. It's got to be quirky. It's got to be cool. You've got to be able to bring different groups of people together on the same day to show that diversity is beneficial to this area. You've got to create places for people to stay for short periods of time. You've got to create places for people to stay for long and medium amounts of time. And, And it takes just kind of this upper level of community building thought to do that kind of stuff. And, and I, I, when you started asking me like, what, what are your favorite kinds of places? My favorite kind of places have a diversity of types of spaces or zones. They don't have to be indoors. They could be outdoors. And you mentioned that word transitions. And I, and I think about like campuses that I've worked on and how they have that mentality of this all has to work together and they're kind of creating this fabric. Right. And, and that's what these, old towns have going for them is they've got this cool fabric about them. It's part people, it's part buildings, it's part space, it's part outdoors and nature and how all these things weave together. And, and I really feel like, man, there's, there's kind of architects are best suited in these kind of visioning boards where those kind of ideas start to come together and get solidified as guiding principles for how these places are going to develop over time. It is a long, long process. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times when you're talking about like the, you know, the placemaking, you know, people have like their, I don't know, 20 year, 30 year vision of mm-hmm. things. Yeah, the master plan. Yeah. And yeah. and then we revisit it, revisit it. But then it it never, you know, it either never becomes what it is or ideas change and things change and people change. Yeah. People change and and and, you know, you see the ups and downs of like an economy that kind of like, you know, I, I, I think some of, honestly, some of my favorite places are places that suffered. Sorry, it's a w- weird way to put it. But during like, say like the, you know, downtown revitalization of like the late 60s, 70s, where they were either tearing down or recladding older buildings to look like new buildings, look like fresh modern buildings and stuff. And it basically stripped the character out. And so I am totally, you know, with him in this argument that it basically became uh, any town USA. And some of my favorite places are those places that couldn't afford to do that. The city of Baltimore, the city of Detroit. I mean, unfortunately, they were, you know, hit with basically a poverty cycle that they couldn't afford to tear things down. And then ultimately, when 
things started to come back and um, slowly but surely, you know, things are coming back in, in Detroit and same is in Baltimore. Those old buildings are still there, but then they're also building new buildings around them. And it's still, it's, it's starting to show it's becoming of a place of its time, but it's also, you know, paying an homage to history and it's still got those thresholds. It's those, you know, the, the interweaving between, you know, the fabric of time and space and, totally just mm, ripped mm, that off <laughs> exactly but i mean good job I, I try <laughs> but i mean it you know it's it's like those are the places that you know you want to be in because they offer such a a visual diversity you know as as much as as much as we're talking about like this emotional place i think some of the emotional places are tied to what does it look like because then that harkens different emotions like history and and things like that and in you know and other emotions and so those are the places to me that really kind of you know stand out because if you look at DC itself it is so interwoven with so many different characteristics and styles architecturally but if you look immediately across the river into Crystal City Virginia which is the modern city that DC couldn't be because it of height limitations and things like that. There's almost no real character there. It's just all glass towers and they all look the same. And you've got wide boulevards. Design guidelines. You've got, (laughs) well, you've got wide, wide boulevards that are all focused towards the car and you've got big parking lots and big parking garages and things like that. And so it really is about, modern living but not modern living you know yeah right <laughs> the conveniences of modern exactly. living is to make you as impotent as exactly possible. so yeah i mean you look at new york city downtown and it's it's incredible right what's going on there what has gone on there building this city how it's evolved over time and you look at a city on the west coast like irvine which is like one of the last quote-unquote great planned cities like not an accidental city, Irvine Company, like planned this thing and they built it. And that's incredible. But holy crap, is it sterile? And who wants to base their their cities on that? Like everyone, like the Middle East wants to base their buildings off it. They, you know, because it's this homage to Santa Barbara architecture and this kind of classic Spanish stuff, you know, arches and red tile roofs. And and I, I worked on a project in the Middle East that they want. They're like, we want it to be like Irvine. They hired the Irvine company to do it. Like, it's incredible, right? And and those two things are not the same at all. I would way rather, but I don't necessarily think that the general public would agree with me on this. I would way rather be in New York City than in Irvine. Because of the character, because of the variation, because of all that stuff, you know, and because of the people who live there and are attracted to that, like, it's got culture. It's got way more culture than Irvine does. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Philly, same way, you know, you you just kind of like, kind of go up and down the cities of the, of the East Coast, no knock on California, but I mean, it's both modern and old. It blends beautifully together it's a little older yeah, than it's us it's a little older than you. yeah but <laughs> well i i think about like the things that you and i like which i again kind of makes us outcast weirdos <laughs> which is when we travel what are the things we like to see besides like just you know great architecture is like the ruins right when you think about these thousand year buildings i want to go to atlas obscura and i want to look up these crazy cool ruins that i can visit because there's so much character and variation and weathering and the way people have adapted and changed the function of things or just abandoned them completely, but they're still there and there's still these kind of, you know, maybe it's a cast in place concrete bunker. Like that's cool stuff, man. Like it, there's something kind of like early human about it almost where it's like, I don't know, maybe it is kind of going to the cave, you know, back to the cave in our, our DNA. But, but it's, it's like those there is something about places that have been for a long time. I think about my visit to Stockholm and going to the old city center. I would way rather be there than in the brand new stuff. And, and I'm a modernist architect. Like I, I love great design. I love new stuff, but I also love the character of this old stuff. And I get why most people like that too. 
right? It does make sense, right? So um, there, there is kind of a balance that needs to be achieved. But I think like this, this fight against boringness is more about just kind of this lack of imagination that is coming to buildings nowadays in, in the final output of the buildings. And there's a lot of pressure on that from the build side, from the owner side, from a speed and efficiency and material sizing and and like we need more architecture, we need more built environment. I mean, the population's going up, not down. And so there, there's got to be a balance there. But but the beauty and the the environmental impact and the mental impact that that has on the people and the way that they interact with their communities and give back and participate and contribute and all those things is affected by the built environment. So if you build a bunch of boring crap, you're going to get a bunch of really boring people right. too. And, and think about those. Let's 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 think about the 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 life in those kind of cities. I mean, most of those cities, like you know, I was just talking about Crystal City, and after five p.m., it's vacant. People are gone. Mm. They don't want to hang out there anymore. They want to go. Yeah, you know, like no hey, to. it's not the High Line, exactly. man. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna go head down to uh, Ellicott City, or I'm gonna go across the river to to D.C. or I'm gonna go. Or downtown Atlanta. And exactly. Can, I'm I'm going to leave yeah. the the sterility of the place that I was to go to a place that just is rich and diverse and is, you know, just got character to it. And it and that's where people really want to like hang out. And that's typically where you see everybody hanging out. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not an accident. Yeah. So so here's to the vision and the inspiration of architects all over to bring that spark and that kind of i don't know that it's got to come from somewhere and it's probably not going to come from your clients and it's probably not going to come from the developers and it's probably not going to come from the city council and it's probably not going to come from the risk management department right but it's not going to come from maintenance it's not going to come from any of those places so the passion and the the value of those things has to be like nurtured and communicated and uh, the champions of that have to be architects. So that's to me where this article really has to land and, and hopefully inspire people just so that they're not armchair quarterback in this and saying, yeah, yeah, cool for you, Thomas, like obvious, but, but like really just take it on and as a, as a mission to make better built environments. That's, that is what, what we need because we need to, we need m- machines <laughs> thinking of buildings in the built environment as machines to bring people together because man, we are farther and farther apart every single day and the sterile buildings that compartmentalize and they, all the rooms look the same and all the doors look the same and all the signs look the same. And you can't like you, I don't know if you watch severance, right. But they're, that's what I think of, right. It's like, they have, they have no idea where they are when they walk down a hallway. Like there's no mental map. There's no differentiation. And it's, it's a great visual indicator of like a lot of our built environment is like that. A lot of our corporate office buildings are exactly like that. A lot of our homes are exactly like that. And that's a, that, that is an indictment on the built environment, that kind of stuff, how bad it can actually be. Yeah. So, you know, in, this is sort of a, a side thought, and this is more of, you know, is kind of is, is talking about, you know, we need to do more thousand year buildings and maybe not necessarily where we're, you know, like doing thousand year buildings. And I don't know, the way that we build is a, is a lot different. And so, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the conversation between a internal combustion and an electric engine, you know, whereas you've got like all these moving parts versus like very few moving parts and which one's better and that different conversation. but. I was thinking about this when I when I read it, and this is kind of a divergence from where what we were just talking about in a way. But you know, I've spent a lot of my career, almost like I got a huge portion of my career, doing adaptive reuse because it was it was almost the I always I used to jokingly call myself as the Mikey of of the architecture firms that I work for. It's just like. Give it's it to like, Cormac. It's Cormac like, likes it. I don't want it. You do it. I don't want it. You do it. Hey, give it to Cormac. He'll do it. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> and yeah. when I look at those, I actually appreciate and enjoy the final product. In most cases, there's a few that I'm like, oof, dude, you had a lot to learn. Um, <laughs> and you could have done so much better. It's just like, I would have loved to have done this project now because of what I know now, 
but you know, we're, we're always going to be that, but of, of all of the projects that I've done, the ones that I appreciate the most are is the ones that pushed the creativity in me to be able to, you know, attack these buildings and breathe new life into them, but still either paying homage to where they were, you know, where they came from, but also, you know, where they're going and where they could continue to go beyond me. And those were the ones that I really enjoyed the most. And in, I think about like the, my catalog of, of work that I've done, you know, with all the different firms that I've worked for. And, and those are the ones that I, I go back to. And, and I'm very excited to show people those buildings because it's something that they know and they can connect to when they're looking at it. Because when they look at it, it's, oh, you did a glass building. Okay. I've seen a glass building over there too. And kind of looks the same. You know, it's the transformation it is, though, right? It is. Like it's, it's the, the people who know what it was and now what it is. And it makes the biggest impact, especially for those people, because they could have never imagined what it becomes. And that is impactful to their life. And that shows them the value that architects bring and that quality projects bring to their communities. That to me is my favorite part of it as well. It's like, took this shoe box of a building and turned it into a library that that we popped the ceilings we let natural light in we got rid of the t-bar and the grid of fluorescent tubes and we put in these amazing pendants and we did graphic signage and color and wayfinding and all these things and it's like how did you go from that old hag of a space to this amazing thing and it's in the same footprint and like that kind of thing is transformative for a community and for the people involved and for everybody. I mean, that, that is the coolest type of thing to do. To when people were of. like, Oh man, I remember how oppressive this space was. And it's just amazing how much, you know, you've been able to like flood it with light, you know, and make it feel modern, but still feel like this traditional old building. You know, it's just like, how did you breathe life into this, you know, 115 year old space? You know, and I'm just like, you know, I mean, those are the ones that I'm just like, I really enjoyed those kind of projects. And so <laughs> you're like, when you were a kid, did you take apart the radios and put them back together? That's what we did with this building. Exactly. It's exactly. And those are in, 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 in a way, that's what I feel like could be a, a, another kind of like side tangent response to, you know, Heather Wick's, you know, kind of like call for character, you know, is that not all the time do you have to like level an old building and, you know, pop up a new glass box to, you know, be able to suit the needs of the community. Maybe the community wants to, maybe they weren't sure what they wanted, but to say, you know, cause I remember, um, I remember standing outside the elementary school and in Annapolis, Maryland, where they just finished the, you know, renovation in addition to this of, a hundred and it was 118 and 115 at the time. And now it's actually older, but you know, there was these, the two buildings that were on the site and then we connected them together and then completely renovated them and up, you know, updated the old part, you know, and, and added new stuff on there, but tried to like harmonize between two completely uniquely different buildings. And I um, was standing outside just, you know, like leaning up against the historic stone wall that was right outside um, the the project. And somebody walked by and just said, you know, it's just amazing how they just breathe new life into the project. Or they didn't, they didn't say project. They said, breathe, breathe new life into that old building. And it was just like, okay, this, this, is, this is what I was going for. But they're walking past it. And they're like, you know, it's, it's still got the same characters, what it was, but now it's new again. It, it's that old building that's now new. And, and those were the things that I, I think that it isn't necessarily probably what he's got in mind when he's talking about, you know, this building of character. But I, I think that, you know, this intermixing, because you and I kind of went on, on a tangent of more of like placemaking rather than place, like big placemaking idea notion rather than small placemaking as in like an individual building. And, and I think that, you know, like all to applaud to all of the architects out there that are doing like adaptive reuse 
and doing the most amazingly creative things with things that we know of. And it's not, and it doesn't strip the place that the building is in of its character. It's just adding more character to it. You know, so it's almost like, you know, adding a couple of scars, but those scars are kind of like, Hey, that's kind of a cool scar. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of surgical in that way. Right. I mean, it kind of takes that amount of care to do that. I mean, I I really say, I I really feel like, you know, some of my more favorite ones and, and I don't, you know, like when I'm doing them, I don't really feel that sometimes it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. I got to go through this project. Just like, but then when you really do it and you've stepped back and you actually look at it in a lens, that's not your lens, but somebody else's, you're like, Oh damn, actually it could be enlightening. It could also, yeah. Uh, put the nail in the coffin <laughs> either that or you know having a building it's just like it just looks like a big chicken coop <laughs> not saying that was ever said about one of my buildings huh. but it was big chicken. nice oh <laughs> uh, well everybody uh check out the article tell us what you think because I mean, there's so many ways you could interpret this and take this conversation but this is the kind of conversation that architects should be leading i think and on all different levels. I mean, in the office, out of the office, with the clients, in the city councils, with the friends at the coffee shop, everywhere. Because like, this is the kind of stuff that this is where we can make a huge impact. So uh, read the article. Tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter or leave a comment on the po- on the podcast episode page, which will be uh, you know on arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.